0: I'm exhausted. Okay. Please listen carefully.
1: What's up, nerds? Welcome back to another sp- episode of our special presentation of Christina Reads, brought to you by the Everyone and Their Sister Podcast. My name is Christina. I'm your host, and for this episode, we're going to be talking about four romance books. And how their settings, their background characters, and the overall universe contributed to what made that book really, really great. I'll let my panelists introduce themselves and their book. If anybody wants to introduce themselves, they're welcome to do so. Oh show my God, now. is it me
2: again? I thought it was Nat. Oh, fuck, sorry. No. <laughs> I'm Stephanie. I'm talking about Lord of Scandals by Loretta Chase. And my book takes place in Regency, Paris, and London.
3: I'm Natasha. I'm defending "Spoiler Alert," which is a rom-com set in the fan fiction world surrounding a TV show called "Gods of the Gates." Uh, the main setting is San Francisco. It's a very fictionalized version of it, but we'll talk about that.
4: <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Marina. I am defending the book "Take a Hint," Denny Brown by Talia Hibber. Uh, my book takes place in London. It's a very contemporary story. Um, yeah, not much okay. else to say.
0: <laughs> I'm Shanice. I'm defending The Kiss by Helen Huang. Uh, it's also a contemporary uh romance book uh, also set in California.
1: Okay. Uh, thank you guys so much for introducing. So if you can't tell or if you did watch the episode prior to this, we are recording one right after the other. So we took a little break. We're all very, we were, we were heated. We had to cool down a bit and now we're getting into the theme of this episode. If you're just jumping into the first time, either on the audio version of our podcast, which you can find on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts, or you're watching this on YouTube, uh, all you need to know about this is that four people who really, really love romance books a lot, picked their romance, one romance reads they think I, someone who only reads romance occasionally, um, and everybody else should read for whatever reason that they chose to pick it. Uh, we're going to be talking, like I said, about the settings, the backgrounds, the universes today. Each one of these guys is gonna be defending why that portion of their book helps justify why that book is great and how it helps move along the story. And at the very end of all of this, we're each gonna be voting on which book we thought was defended the best, which book we thought had the setting that uh, or background characters that worked best for the story. So let's get right into this and let's start talking about the settings and the background characters of Kiss Quotin. Let's get ready, Shanice. I know you're not last this time, but hopefully that means after you do this, you can just relax for the rest of this episode. Uh, there's, not, yeah, there's not too much to say here. I mean, right off the bat, I personally think that of all of you guys, Steph has the best place to come from because she's really the only one with a distinct setting. And that feels really true for Kiss Quoten as well. The, in terms of where they are doesn't feel super relevant. So we're definitely going to be talking a little bit more about how do the other characters fit into these main people's lives. And this was a big issue I had with this book. Um, I loved Michael's setting so much. I loved his family. I loved the moments that we were with him. I think that was really good. I think seeing his Vietnamese family, I think seeing how Stella interacted with them and the way that, you know, his mother and Stella interacted was really strong. He is really a full person when you consider his settings. It's really great. And then we get to Stella and the whole time just like, well, what what the hell is this? Because Stella is an island. Like, yes, she has parents, but we really only ever hear of them through a phone conversation and they help kind of create a picture of how she feels about herself and how she feels about what she's doing and maybe helps justify where she's going. But the people in her lives feel like props. They do not feel like real people. And I don't really get why they're there. For someone who, you know, appears to have known about herself for a long time, who's clearly working on, like, she has a very rich, highly functioning life, and yet she has no support group of other people who have, or who are on the autism spectrum. She has no friends. She has no one in her life except for this one dude that she works with who has a really fucking weird uh sort of driving force behind him where he's mean to her but maybe he's a little bit into her and the second she has a boyfriend suddenly he's like wait i thought it was always us and you're like oh great this trope amazing i love it um like he feels so fake her parents feel very cardboard cut out and for me it's a little bit of a shame because i can see how the authors push into michael and her experiences as related to michael's family makes this story so strong it makes it work so well and then I look at Stella and I'm like, it, it's hard to even feel like a full person when you look at her life and you don't get to see very much of it outside of Michael. So that is my biggest issue with that piece of Kishboten.
0: Yeah, I think starting with Stella, a lot of it comes down to, and she addresses this a lot, is that because of her autism, she doesn't feel like she can connect with people as much or that they won't accept her for how she is um, and this is something she addressed this is why and because of her autism she is very much um like work focused and very like goal-centric so that's why she's a lot of times she's always at work like she works very long hours she has a very strict routine which is something that her coworkers workers commented comment on and I think when she like goes out for like a lunch date with Michael, uh Philip, who is her like kind of weird pervy wants to date her coworker, uh, she goes out for lunch with Michael and he's like, You have a you're leaving the office for lunch? Like it's the most like bizarre thing to him. Uh so I think a lot of it is for her, um, she doesn't really know how to form those connections. And that's a lot of it I think a lot of it is why she starts that relationship with Michael is she, for her, she thinks it's sex and intimacy, but I think it really stems to her entire like social life of, you know, finding connections with people. She doesn't know how to do that. So I think by her having this uh, fake relationship with Michael, she will learn how to make those connections with other people that aren't like looking for something out of her that she doesn't want. So to go with Michael's side, he has, like you said, an entire rich cast of characters surrounding him. His family is one of my favorites. They're just so great. He's got like five sisters who all just chirp him and make fun of him at any point they can. Like they're making out, Stella and Michael are making out the car and his sisters are out there being like, "Uh, hi, can you not, we're right here. We'd appreciate if you didn't like stick your tongue down her throat in front of us. Uh, so their chaos was really fun. His mom is a total sweetheart. I love her. She just wants to make them all happy and be have her kids be as successful as possible. She accepts Stella right away, even though Stella basically insults everything about their lives the minute she is in their house that first night uh but her we you come to see especially with how his mother is with her with Michael's dad. She's very accepting and she's very open to people and accepts them sometimes to a fault, uh, but she, you know, she just, she just wants to see the best in people and she really does that. And she just cares about people so much. Um, but yeah, but everyone in this, in this, on Michael's side, he, they are definitely rich, um, with character and they are fully fledged characters and I really think that they are there's definitely supposed to be that kind of offsetting of Stella is kind of alone and doesn't know how to connect with people, but Michael has this like really rich, loving, caring family. And it's gonna be like a balance of the two connecting.
4: <laughs> what in. do you
1: want, Marina? Going for it. No, it. okay.
4: So I shouldn't be defending someone else's book, but I will say, as much as I agree with what Christina said, like, yeah. Um, Stella does feel like she's very much like in her own bubble in her own island I will say are we not glad and so happy that we didn't have to hear about a a white family are we not so blessed that we get to hear about like like an Asian family we see like exactly what what Shanice is saying like you get to see everyone like the whole interactions with them like cooking and like the business like everything like i feel like it adds so much more to the story i don't need to hear about sella's family i don't give a fuck about them
1: i'll give you you don't need yeah. to hear about a family i'd like to hear about a fucking friend i'd like to hear about a single I think person in ex- her life i think that's explained and i think
0: that because like she's, addre- like, she's addressed it. She's like, I don't have time for other people and I don't want to make these connections because I'm working. That's not what I love. It's like, she loves working. She talks about how much she loves it. She loves being in the office. She loves her spreadsheets. And she loves her math. And to her, that's not a priority. That's not a big, like, that's not something she cares about. The numbers. Yeah, but the she- numbers
3: are her friends. Oh, hold on. I have
0: yeah, a <laughs> My cash money numbers. Hold
1: on. But keeping in mind, the people that are in this current debate right now, you've never made a friend at work, Shanice? <laughs> but
0: i'm also in i'm also in a different uh what's it called not ca- like career place well like why should,
2: her life is revolving around this guy like she has no outside interests other than him which is problematic because she should be doing other but you know what else. okay i do so i, I do, do
3: agree with Shanice about the autistic thing i do think that plays a huge factor the island thing yeah. feels very true to. but she never for sure but
2: does she say that she wants to have friends like is that no, like that's not something she cares about I think that's another a,
4: a hot take here. I feel like in this book, whether intentionally or not, I feel like Michael is actually the main character in the story and not Stella. That's
1: my hot take.
3: No, I totally <laughs> yeah. agree with that.
1: I I argu- all good arguments. Because, you know, it takes a lot. But, like, I, I care about Stella a lot. I want her to have more of a life, I want her to She's have great. more yeah. of a background. And yeah, I need her to have someone in her life other than this one dude from work.
3: Uh, that's interesting christina (laughs) it's interesting that in the last episode you were like oh i don't like danny goes and like changes her her life to have a relationship but now you're like no i want stella to have this friends friends friends. relationships that you think are traditional (laughs) just saying maybe stella doesn't want friends
1: (laughs) but then so she she gets together with michael to learn all of this but then How is it gonna work in your relationship when the only person in your life is the person that you're with?
0: Okay, so I think that because, like I said, this is kind of of a gateway to a whole world of possibilities for her. Like, it's not like she like knows other autistic people and has been like able to ask or talk to them about it. This is something she's like, I wanna be treated like everybody else. I don't want to be treated differently or like how I react to things. Granted, that's the thing. Again, it might make it easier to be more open if she, like it might make things easier if she was more open about it, but that's a personal preference. And she's seen how people react to it. The amount of times with dates where they're like, don't give a shit about her or like even Philip or her parents, like they don't give they don't, they don't care. (laughs) So why would she go and expose herself like that?
1: I think while well, I have so many more thoughts, we are going to have to wrap up Kiss Quoten section of this episode. We definitely ran long last time and we gave Kiss Quoten a little bit more time this time to make up for it. Uh But I think that was a solid, <laughs> I'll give you that's a very solid ending point. So now uh let's move on to spoiler alert next. Uh, oh <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the setting of spoiler alert. And no, I have to go into this with the saying that like, I I say this from like an uncomfortable place of knowledge. Like it's one of those things where you're like, "Oh, I am on a page. Also, I don't want to be on this page because the level of fan fiction and fandom references uh uh just the whole concept of the book being around that on the one hand, I'm like, Oh, I immediately understand everything that's happening because I know what a beta reader is. I understand how fandom works. I can immediately see the AO, the archive of our own, which by the way is never specified that that's what AO3 stands for. I can see the page, even though I listen to the audiobook as she's going through the tags. I can see the little fucking underlines underneath each one. Like the, the way it's steeped in that fandom is a very like, okay, I, 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 I understand everything in this book. Uh, one, if I didn't know that much about fandom, is this book even remotely accessible? I think is a really solid question. Like, I know fandom is getting more popular and the idea of fan fiction and cosplaying, all that stuff is getting very, very mainstream. But the way we go in on <laughs> fandom and the knowledge of fan fiction and all of things, it gets it gets almost granular to that level. Like, damn, they've got their own separate like discord server going on in this book for all of the fucking bnfs big name fans uh, in the gods of uh the gods series like there's a lot happening here and that's another thing about like this guy he's not just in fandom this is just right fan fiction he's entrenched they describe them as having been one of the like leading builders and then i'm having these flashbacks to being a kid and being in the Harry Potter fandom and knowing about Cassandra Clare and all of the drama that went in there, which means I'm also uncomfortably aware of like all of the possibilities. The fact that she drops in, oh, I'm dating the guy that's in the show we're talking about. And then we're just supposed to believe that all of these people she's in the server with are like, okay, we'll get, we'll be cool with that. We'll be respectful people like about that. We're not going to lose our minds and you'll never be able to go on the internet again. It's just, this got a lot all over the place. What I'm going to really come at it is that it is a little too based in the fan fiction world. You have to know a lot about fandom to really understand a lot of what is being said. Not what's going on, but what is being said. If you've never heard of a beta reader before, the fact that he is her beta reader and she's his is a lot to get through. And a little bit because of that, the whole book feels back to I think what we talked about last episode too, feels aggressively fictionalized. It it really feels a little separate from reality because of that. But I I, I do specify like it's it's a it's a dislike I can only have because I know it. In my heart, like it's a, it's a like, oof! I don't like seeing this written <laughs> out. This is private. Thank you very much, Olivia Tate. <laughs>
3: Please. <laughs> so that's what I'm gonna say on that. <laughs> All right. I mean, I said this before, like in our private conversation, but this this book is has been written. Almost like a fan fiction for fan fiction lovers. Like, this is a book meant for people who love fan fiction, and it's truly written that way. It is a love story for them and I love that about it that's all it's meant to be um I mean like if you even look at like the romance fandom you'll probably find that a lot of them know what people are talking about in this story I think for the type of audience it's meant for it's perfect I don't think she really has to explain a lot for them and I think she knows that when she wrote this like she was like this is for a very specific set of people and they're my people (laughs) like and that's what I loved about this book um again like you said it's very fictionalized it's unrealistic i don't think the hook for this book was meant to be realistic i think the hook is it's like fan fiction like that's why you're reading this book it's so unrealistic who needs it who needs anything else other than (laughs) than this like crazy story Uh, will her friends online lose their minds they absolutely do they talk about it at the end i mean like they don't go into the details i would have loved to have read the details for sure but she's like, yeah. Did their love story, that kiss at the at the convention, lead to like a bi- a billion new types of fan fiction? Yeah, it did. And I'm like, yeah, I'm here for it. Like, fine, whatever. There's they're like their relationship had held on this like crazy pedestal. But that being said, <laughs> like I get where you're coming from. Where like I, there's a lot of things aren't explained. Um. And yeah, for somebody that doesn't, that's coming into the story, maybe they read previous Olivia Day books, maybe they just read regular ro- romance and they're coming into the story. It might seem a little bit confusing, but I just, I don't think this book is for them. And after all, this is called Christina Reads and I chose this for you, Christina. <laughs> and that's true, but it was also about what book should I and everybody else read. That being said, I don't, I obviously don't think all romance is for everyone. I think this is a very specific type of romance audience. And I think it caters to that specific, because like, if we look at like the nature of fan fiction, a lot of it is about the romance. Like that's what people are reading it for. And I think this is definitely catering to that audience. Um, I mean, like, there's, there's just so much going on. Like I, if I go into, like, how steep it is in the fanfiction world, I think that actually won the book over for me rather than, like, if they had less of it. Because just reading, like, even just, like, the clips, the stories, fucking Aeneas's um Inconvenient Boner Week, I fucking lost my mind. Like, I was like, I know what this is. <laughs> Because, like, I know exactly what this... I know exactly what this will entail. I need to see the Inconvenient bonus, The fucking stories, like, just, like, the little clippets from the stories were so, so well done. I think, like, I'm trying to imagine how much time it took Olivia Day to just, like, write every single one of the stories based on this, like, very, very developed TV show that she has in the back of her mind. And I know, like, yeah, partially based (laughs) on Game of Thrones, but, like... (laughs) partially yeah but like it, there's also like this whole like book story behind it the the author e e wade i think or whatever the, like there's this whole other thing that i'm just like she's she's built it so she's fleshed it out so well that i'm like i love i love every single moment of it and i know you didn't mention this but there are i mean Steph, who didn't finish the book
1: okay,
2: but And I, not you say are not a fucking to say that out loud well out no but recording. if you're still Stealing from Game of Thrones, I like immediately Shit. if I knew exactly what it was, is it like how far? But, like did the, it scenes, go? The, the, the scenes, like, the scenes from Game of Thrones, the bad producers, the shots she made in the first beginning, they're all taken from Game of Thrones. So I'm just like, is it far fetched? I mean, but I, I mean, think like, it's the... done on
4: purpose. It's done on purpose because it is a love letter to fandom. So she wants people to recognize that it is Game of Thrones.
0: Yeah, I, I, think it, that, like, I mean, I clearly. clearly <laughs> Like I found because it like I, so I I haven't been in a lot of like I haven't done fanfiction stuff recently. I stephan stephanrina. know at the college I like rediscovered my old fanfiction.net uh like username was still there and I was like having a crisis. So like I've I get the whole fanfiction fandom. I've been there. It hasn't been so much recently just because there's so much of it now and it's so overwhelming. But I found when I was reading the story, it kind of took away, like, the amount of it. And, like, I understand that it's, like, for a specific reader, which I think needs to, like, like, I'm not going to recommend this book to a lot of people because there's so much fan fiction and stuff in it. And, like, I found, like, with all these, like, little snippets of other stories and all these, like, little other things other than the main characters, like, I just, my eyes glazed over. It was, like, I found it distracting. It, took me out of the story. I'm, like, I don't care about... This one shot fiction, like I, I don't care. <laughs> like it just took it away. It Took me
3: away. I don't. I don't necessarily think it would detract from for certain readers because I think it it's been done before many times and people have been able to adapt really well. Like if you look at Fangirl versus Carry On, it's done fantastically and people have adapted really well to it. I think this would be the same thing. I think it's still going to appeal to the same type of reader, albeit like a very heavily romance focus compared to the <laughs> yeah. other one. You have to like,
0: like, you have to really be into stories with those stories. Because I find a lot of times that is the case where, like, why people don't like it. It's like, oh, I love the main story. But then they would go on, like, there'd be these other chapters about this other story that I didn't give a fuck about
2: and like as a seven season show you're like you're just no way you're going to know everything that happened in the seven seasons to understand the f- fiction as well as probably the author does so that to be like, like reading it going in w- t- was very jarring to me and took me out because i was like but i don't you know who to are about the is. in the story to truly care
0: about the whole book
2: and well if you is... actually read the stories they're
3: actually parallels for their actual relationships so that's, like they the actually thing. are supporting work so it doesn't like there's a well, part where like not, they're
0: not the actual characters i was like i don't and, like, they don't really, they don't start paralleling the characters until further on when I'm already, like, glazed over.
1: <laughs> and I will say, there's a lot of time dedicated to those fan fiction and the script scenes, and some of them were hilarious, like the one with, like, Marcus's worst movie ever. Like, I enjoyed reading it and that I thought it was funny. But given how really most side characters in this, except for maybe his best friend, barely uh, exist. Disagree. Um, <laughs> No, they really do. Like her <laughs> friends are barely I, mentioned. They get some quirky attributes, but you don't really get to see them. There's some group chats with other characters, like my how... chemical
3: folkmans. That was funny. <laughs> yeah, that was my funny, chemical but folkmans spend
1: was great. Time with those people, really, outside of the one time she meets them, and then they're side characters again. Another thing, like, but given how what I'm saying is given how little those are fleshed out, and how much time is spent on the fan fiction in the side scenes like that's the thing where it's like mm, you know if you're trying to consolidate how much is being spent on this book and like how big it is and how long it is I probably could have lost some of those fan fiction stuff to make the, everyone else feel a little bit more real like there's some real then, conversation about the fact that Summer is a very beautiful woman portraying somebody who's supposed to look very hideous and that's a big thing in fandom and you hear a lot about how Marcus talks about how she feels about that and how she still really, he still really likes her, but he gets it's difficult. But you don't really get to see a lot of her.
3: I think, I mean, like, this is me speaking from like a more of a publishing point of view, but I recognize that this follows Avon's like writing style. Like, this is a very editorial choice. That's not what
1: we're talking about here, though. No,
3: it's an editorial choice where they play. Let me finish. (laughs) Where they place the main character the main two like characters at the forefront and then the side characters just sort of like support slightly but they never focus on their issues because like that usually is either saved for another book or it's not really about them and it takes away from the main couple story that is an editorial choice i can tell you for sure Doesn't matter
1: when it comes to the conversation we're having though lots of things are editorial choices it doesn't make them good to read we're not having the conversation here of who made I will
4: agree with nat that that is a very common choice made in romance so as someone who does not read romance very often you wouldn't know that
1: okay first of all don't appreciate the sass in that given the fact that the whole point of this concept is i'm supposed to be able to enjoy it and not very often is still more than a lot of people and i'm still very familiar with romance That doesn't mean just because it's a trope, you throw it in there and suddenly like, oh yeah, okay, check, you did it, that's fine. It needs right. to work for the story. And I think we lose something in the setting of this book because we don't have that. But we are hitting up on
3: 15 minutes for this particular section. So I'll let one more
1: point go by. That's and enough. then we're going to let Naz right, make, make her point.
3: <laughs> okay. But like, if we had to lose any story, it would never be any of the pegging ones, even though they add absolutely nothing I, but humor. Girl,
1: I give you that one. I give you that one fully. The book, it, quite frankly, needed more pegging. And I will read the next one because it's very clear that the next couple is going to be the couple where the pegging was centralized. And so, yes, agree. Yes. That one, I'll give yeah. you that point. But we're moving on. We've had our 15. We're now gonna go on to Take a Hint, Danny Brown. Uh, this one, I'm kind of not gonna lie when it comes to Danny Brown. It's kind of a similar note to the last one. I enjoyed the setting my biggest concern my biggest concern with the setting for this one is because it's the second in a series would you kind of lose something in it and i wouldn't even say that you do they definitely you can tell that you're supposed to know some of the characters when the book starts but i'll give talia brown the way she does it like i never felt like i was missing a lot of information um it does kind of pick up as time goes on but i will and, and this is like a weird argument but i think i kind of have to make it she wrote really good side characters. I don't actually, oh, it's a romance trope to barely concentrate on the side characters. She ser- concentrates along the side characters, quite frankly. They all have their own lives. They all have their own journeys, their own romance, where it's not like, oh, you're gonna hear about this. Yeah, but they, but they don't, it's not just a setup for the next book. A couple that I don't think is gonna be the next book gets together in this series. Like they have their own thing going on. So there's that. But with that, I will say they almost felt underutilized to that extent because they're strong. They're strong, and they're not in it a lot. And it's are amazing. you are you it's referencing
4: are you referencing his uh, sister in law and uh, yeah, his uh, friend? Yeah. Okay,
1: yeah. Because I like that, but then it was also a weird kind of side love story. And I know that again, it's a romance. The main the main couple is going to be the focus, but I almost wanted more from them. Like there's sometimes where. His friend is really developed and I like his family, but you see them in such a specific way. And then there's like this revelation of like, oh, they got together and you kind of see it coming from how it's laid up. But I almost want more of them. And I definitely want more of her family, especially knowing that the series is about the Brown sisters. She spends a lot of time with her friend. I want more from those side characters because I do think this this book had the space to concentrate on both of them. So that's what I really wanted from Take a Hit, Danny Brown. I'm going to, and maybe this is just, Talia Hibbert was very successful. I'm going to read the other ones because I want more And I should. But I could have done with more of that in this book because she made really good ones. I
4: think, and this is something that we have discussed already, like in regards to like Nat's book that.
1: Um, and I
4: think in the previous episode we kind of touched on this as well but I think in this case part of what we're missing here is more of a side product of one the genre and the way that these books are usually framed um, and the expected like length and flow of romance novels but also exactly what you mentioned the fact that it is part of like a series so for those who don't know that are listening to this podcast and have no idea about who Danny Brown is. Uh, Danny Brown, this book specifically is a second book in um, a series about all of the Brown sisters. So the first book was um, Get a Life, Chloe Brown. And then this is the second book. And the third book is going to follow the third sister. So there's definitely that comes into play, but I agree with exactly what you said. I feel like you don't need to read them in order to be able to get that satisfaction from the books. Like, I don't think that you would be missing much out of the story. Um, I think it's very different from like stories where um, there's like a very prominent, larger arc. I don't think that this is one of those series. I think that this is very much like they're not 100% standalones, but you can actually Absolutely read them as, as uh, standalones. Um, that being said, I think that there's also two parts to this. So there's the side characters from Denny's side and then the, there's the side characters from Zaf's side. So... On Danny's side, we know already that she's part of a larger arc of sisters. So each book is going to follow a different one. So we, I feel like we get a little bit of insight into the family dynamics from Chloe Brown in book one. And that continues to happen in book two. So in book one, you wouldn't know this because you haven't read it. And you could say that that's a fault to the book. But again, I, other than you being in this situation and me telling you to read book number two first... I don't think anyone else looking into starting into uh, Talia uh, Talia Hibbert would start on book two. I think most people would start on book one. So um, I think that you are a special case and that's my fault, that was my choice. I just love Danny Brown a lot more than Chloe Brown, but um, both great books. Um, so I think that that's something to take into account. So there's the, the Brown sisters, you have that arc, but it's not the kind of arc that you need to read the books um, in order, whatever. In terms of Zaf's family, I think that we, I think we saw we saw a lot. Like even like the little bits and pieces with like his niece, for example. What was her name? Fat, Fatima, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what a beautiful friendship that he had with her like yeah they bicker and like they poke at each other a lot but that's how they have fun that's how they interact like that's how they show love to each other and we see that throughout the entire book um we see um and also i I think again like, the relationship that he had with his mother, for example, Um, isn't it so, I feel like one of, like, the best moments with Daph, in my honest opinion, are the soft moments when you get glimpses that he gives to the reader into his family dynamics. So, even when you learn, for example, when he started, like, reading romance, um, he tells us a story of, like, the relationship of, like, I think it's, like, his niece or his sister-in-law where they were, like, throwing the book at him and, like, that's how he starts picking up romance books and, like, reading and stuff. So, I think that Talia did a great job putting in little bits and pieces where, in your mind, you are able to build the full picture, and you're able to visualize exactly what this family is like. So, um, yeah, that's what I have to say.
0: I think it's hard to argue with this one. <laughs> I mean, like that's the thing. It's like, yeah, Zaf. Like, it's I really like his family and like the people on his side. But yeah, I'm trying. Like I'm struggling to think of. Like I totally forgot Danny had a best friend. <laughs> like I forgot that. I yeah, he that was that kind of was the
4: one person that I I wanted to hear more, but I don't fault.
0: Yeah, uh, like, the, the author for not including person, more. like the only person I really remember from Danny's side is her ex girlfriend. I think that's it. I think
1: Joe. It's
0: of, is that her name? Yeah, that's her name. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. But yeah, so I I mean I. I get it. And I, it is hard to follow. I can't say that I actually had a lot of negative here. And it is it was difficult to try to find something. But it's that situation of like, just because something is a trope or standard to the genre, I feel like romance more than a lot of other more, maybe even more than any other genre is really set in things you need to make it romance. And outside of the like happily ever after and focusing on and like the the main plot being a love story, I think it shouldn't just be like, oh, well, it's it's romance, so it's fine that it did that. I think that there are romance novels out there that really buck that trope and really buck that trend and do it well. If you're you putting the trope in the book because, hey, it's good and it fits the story, great. If it's in the book because it's just to move the story along and that's what people expect, that I'm not as here for. And I feel this way about Danny Brown in particular. The situations where this book falls into those standard tropes over over, or tries to hit them where talia brown really fits it uh, or sorry where talia hibbert really fits it to be a like standard romance is where it does start to fall apart to me like in the last episode where it was that sort of third act breakup that you kind of expect where the side characters that she fleshes out have moments like you can tell that she wrote out backstories for them and she understands them really well but you don't get to see them very much and even in next episode, we'll talk about it a little bit. Like, I I like her writing, I like her story, I like where this is going, and I almost want more of it, while still dealing with the fact that, like, it's a romance, it's about a love story, and we know they have to get together at the end, but I don't want anything else to be about a trope when it comes to this kind of the book and this kind of writing, because otherwise it's strong, but let's, and I can't wait for the third one, because I want to see if it freeze from them
4: when you when you say trope what exactly do you mean do you mean the fact that the characters
1: are not fleshed out is that what you mean yeah maybe trope is not the right word for this but like because like you can use a trope and you can use it well you can use it poorly but more like when it feels like there's these rigid barriers to the genre that you somehow have to fit yourself into and i my opinion is that it feels like romance is one that has more of that where when books don't have that it's like oh my god it doesn't um you know that's one where I'm like mm, I like I, I I would love to see and I, I'll definitely read more of this author's works too because of it but I'd like to see are those things in there because it's what is supposed to be in there or are those things in there because they're what you expect from a romance book and
3: I think also, yeah. sorry I was gonna say I think there's also that aspect where like are you tackling too much in the book, like? like it is a romance and like that is the main story and like is it too much like we saw this issue with like a few other books we have talked about that are not on the show so I'm not even going to shout them out but we have talked about it where sometimes a book is a romance and it'll take on all these different topics that are really really good to bring in or like even do something that's unexpected and it's great but it's not as fleshed out as it could be because it's tackling almost too much in one book and I think that's an issue you come up with a lot in in writing a romance because like oh you're already doing this one big thing why would I add all this other little stuff like I think that's something that you have to like you have to know what to cut and i think that's an issue like some readers will want that stuff that you cut but some readers won't and i think that really depends on the reader yeah i think like for
0: the romance books it's either like it's usually like two camps it's like one it's like it's very character focused and very character driven and then there's the complaints that like the rest of the world isn't expanded on but then if the rest of the world is expanded on everyone's like oh i wanted more of the couple in this book which, well, it's like, like, I, I, think, think, like a- I see like one or the other a lot of times in different romance books. I've had that same critique about it, where I'm like, oh, I would have loved to see more of like the main
1: couple,
2: or like when so like a romance is a three act structure. Basically, they meet, the con- there's a conflict, they break up, they get together at the end. Da- Danny Brown does that. Is it like super extraordinary? Nothing I ever seen in a romance book before. No. Could it have been? Possibly. It could have totally. I think the characters are so strong thing. that it doesn't
0: really matter in this case.
2: But I, mean, I think I, mean, I think
4: in this case, even though the story stands on its own feet, I think that the logistical aspects of writing this book, like let's get real here, she's not gonna dive into so much of Danny's family because we know as the reader, this is part of a series, so you're gonna get those stories with the other books. I understand that in this specific case, Christina read the book as its own compact situation, but the reality of the story for on Danny's side is that it is part of a larger package where you get part of the story from each book. That's it.
1: I think as we go on to the next one, I have one more point to make for that. I actually don't think it's going to be that odd for someone to read Danny Brown first, because from what I can tell at least, this book seems to be significantly more popular and significantly more well-received than the first one. And this could be me being being wrong, but definitely seeing books i feel like in romance this is also a genre where it is more common to read anywhere in a series and not necessarily start as one as steph loves to tell me when she recommends the 12th book in a series to me oh my god um and then i have to be like wait do i have to start from one and sometimes the answer is yes but sometimes the answer is no so i i think this one is one that could go either way but I mean, I think we've pretty much expanded the conversation that we can have on on this one in terms of setting and background characters. Like, there is one there is one thing, and there's nothing really here for you to come back to be on. okay? But these are two That's at once in one scene. These are two 30 year old men. They're not that old, okay? They're just a little older, but they're generally around our age and with the like 12 year old kids on the rugby field they need to teach him what a push notification is and i can see one yeah. i can see zach not knowing the fact that both dudes in that situation were like push notification what are the things these kids talk about like, do I agree. <laughs> come on now we're not that old <laughs> but that was take a hit danny brown we're now going to go into our last book we're going to go into lord of scoundrels um first step i think this is going to be definitely you have the advantage here and i will say because when i'm talking about the settings for everybody else i'm really not talking about the settings i'm talking about the background characters i can't really speak to the universe of the setting because it's right now and so as long as it feels like it's right now it's hard for it to not be right now but you have the whole regency era romanticism to go on the beautiful dresses the like Carriage, all the negatives that come along with that but also all of the like shit that we love which is the like clothing porn and that kind of stuff so there's that benefit to it and I don't dislike a historical romance I like when a historical romance is in that kind of world where you kind of immediately can assume the politics of everything that's going on you know it's not hard to understand why things are happening it's clear that their entire story it's necessary for them to be in the 18th or 19th century for their situation to happen. So, like, in that sense, it fits. So, when we talk about the background characters for *Little Scoundrels and where it really comes at me is that every single character in this story, except for literally two of them, are yeah. terrible people. You have the valet that comes up at the end of the book for uh, Sebastian Dane, and you have Jessica Grant. Yeah, like, the help. Like, he okay. He listens His to belly. Jessica quite a bit. And he, yeah, he helps them a lot. So you've got him. He's a nice guy from what you can tell. <laughs> and Jessica's grandma sounds pretty great, but you don't really see her a lot. You just hear references to her. Otherwise, every side character in this is either a moron, like her brother, um, is downright plotting evil plots like the kid's mom, like the one dude who wants to get back at Sebastian. So he sets this insane plot in place, like the dude he uses to set that plot in place. Like everyone has to be such a fucking dick in this book for what happens to happen. And it is really difficult to enjoy any of them by the time we get to the valet like he's so nice but a little bit it's like well you're also being paid (laughs) like this is your job and it's the 18th century you gotta be nice you have to you can't afford to not really be a fan of the new lady of the house so that one was rough It, it felt because i don't like the main characters or i don't like dane in particular what it feels like to me is that it's a situation where like everyone else is trash and then he doesn't look as bad. But when you isolate everybody, you're like, no, trash, trash, trash.
2: <laughs> I mean, I don't think it would have worked if ever, if you had one good seed in that whole selection of friends that was nice. Like, the plot wouldn't have worked if there was, like, a one guy being like, you're kind of an asshole. Like, it wouldn't have worked. Or valet, he's going to get paid. He's not going to tell his boss, like, you're a bit of a dick. Like, you need to fix this. But, like, also, it's kind of a reflection of the aristocracy. They don't have jobs. All they do is drink all day. All they do is gamble away their money. So, like, that's the kind of situation he's going to be in, and they're going to be awful. And, like, what can you do about that? Because that's the, you're furthering the plot of that he's terrible, and, like, these are the ways he's terrible. Like, you couldn't, and the way, so the way he's, like, fit in, as we, as you'll have learned when you read that 44 page epilogue, he was abandoned and, like, bullied at school. So, like, how are you going to join a group of friends? You're going to be the, as bad as them so they don't reject you, too. And, like, he's a soft boy, afraid of his emotions, Christina if he if someone rejected him i don't think he could have handled it so he needs to play the next level he needs to be ready to be like you know what i'm gonna be these people's friends i don't want them to reject me and i'm gonna be all alone and sad because like he already is that like an- another full blow Like i don't know i don't think he could do it
1: i was so with you until soft i was so with <laughs> he's you afraid, until he's
2: afraid of his emotions though like he, the whole book he's afraid of his emotions he's afraid he's gonna be left alone he's like abandoned no one loves him like that's what he's afraid of like that's as Marina said, he's kind of the main character of this rather than him. And I also want to mention that all those other side characters you hate have their own book because this is a romance book. And this book is not the first book in a series also. You just how, you're dropped in there. How <laughs> many of
1: them do you have oh, to like, dislike? Like people don't need to be perfect, but I need a reason to like them. And oof, I don't know. It's not all of them. It's
2: one that. of the guys. I think it's the guy who's like the mastermind of the plot. He gets this the other book. The, oh, the well, one was like through a glory hole, or is like no, no, we'll not that guy. Off. No, no, not that guy. But like, I it guess it's like, like, it's like her being like the aristocrats are like useless men using their money. It's really
1: when it really comes across in terms of reading it is it feels like a situation where like they're just plot devices, not people.
2: And I don't think they yeah. need to be because it's going to take away from the main plot of the story. If you're going to give these people any more page time, it's going to take away. This is already a long book and like are already getting is. 2 you're you're getting two tropes, which is actually not very done very often. Hold on, Maria. <laughs> you can go. Yeah.
4: No, I just want to say oh, I yeah. think I think that an extra challenge that. Steph's book and any historical romance is the fact that you have those societal expectations where people can't just casually hook up. They can't just casually have sex. So there's always going to be a very elaborate scheme situation. Uh, like uh, there's always some very elaborate situation to justify those two people being able to even like touch the other person's wrist. Yeah. There's also, there's yeah. always that kind of like evolved situation. And I think that. That's always gonna be a challenge for any historical romance. And I think that, in a way, those several tiny side characters are used. Like they have to be used yeah, as do. a way yeah, to build do.
2: that scheme you know what i mean like if the first half of the book was yeah. in london it's, it's not possible like it's literally not possible for any of that to happen so like you need to open up the the scheme open, of right? the world her, to be able to do anything and then you're as soon as they go to london everything closed down she's proper you're getting a wedding you can't be left alone you're going on a carriage ride with the two wild animals which was my favorite part because they were trained to be dicks but secretly they're just fine they're just circus horses <laughs> sorry <Denise. laughs> that's why i like love that part gotta be honest the horses
1: that I mean, they but... all end up kind of being forgettable to me because of that though because they're not people those horses they're
2: had just personality like... though Wait, those horses say, not the horses. Had personality okay his best buds were those two fucking horses
0: yeah i was gonna say like all those shitty guys like i've kind of like i had to make sure that i knew the names so that i didn't forget like who was scheming what because they were all doing the same thing i do i do Steph, you know i love a good historical romance like they have to like the glances from afar and like they have to be talking like innuendos so that you can like have two different conversations one's like proper and the other one's like i want to bone you but i can't (laughs) sorry (laughs) but i I love a historical romance setting like i love that they have to have these like weird-ass plots like the marriages of convenience I I respect
4: historical romance writers because you have to like go through so many like
0: hurdles and like
4: you have to be really creative to write historical romance you have to
0: you have to spin those tropes differently otherwise they all sound the same
2: well like I said she had there's two tropes in this book it starts off as enemies to lovers and it turns into a marriage in trouble which like is hard to do in a romance book when people are expecting one trope per book or like that's what you're going into to expect which is hard to do when I mean, she like
1: it, pulls it off by the ending they still feel like enemies to lovers
2: that still feels like the main <laughs> they one gotta...
1: because they're married and hating each other for a good portion well sort there's of there's hate banging their entire like their entire lives yeah. <laughs> but yeah i think for me what it really did was like i can see how all of those tropes again but it's again part of the conversation just because these are things that happen in the genre doesn't mean that when you're reading them it's like, oh, this this makes me enjoy this. Like I can't remember the name of a single character outside of the main two.
2: But I don't think like, that's because
1: especially because all those dudes, they run together. I mean, like But he doesn't I, but even like them himself. A, but the drive. So it's like why is he gonna conflict... spend his
2: time and his narrative on them when he doesn't even care for them? They're not important to the story. They're only furthering the aristocratic setting of that world Except of like, they, what the expectations are.
1: Yeah, they like drive them. the main conflict at the end of the book they are the reason that the main conflict at the end of the book happens is because of that other character and when they're explaining which guy it is that's like trying to pull off that, like hired this or got this other guy to do it because he is mad at Dane and he like maybe he wants the picture because he realized how much it was worth or somebody tells him how much it was worth like in that moment i have no idea which character was the character that told them how much it was worth planned the whole thing and then actually did it. They could all be yeah, two three guys, men with the, same, the same face. They're the I mean, same person. Yeah, heard. yeah. But yeah. but that but that that doesn't the setting then does not up with the universe. They're just props. it's like watching TV show, but everything is point. made of like
2: cardboard. I mean, all their whole world is I, about games well, like, and plots and bets, and like including that in the narrative is part of furthering the story. And that you kind of need that crazy, you need that ridiculousness of like someone to be like, I have no time on my hands, I'm gonna make this crazy plot to get money because I'm too lazy to work, which is them. what happens. Make them characters. Yeah, everybody's like that. Like, nobody is identifiable. I mean, they're all the same if they're supposed to be.
0: <laughs> There's too many shitty bad people and not enough, like, grandma. <laughs> I don't think
4: you're wrong, Christina, because I like I agree. Like When I, I listened to the audiobook for this book, and I, like, whenever they weren't talking about the main couple being in the same room together doing shit to each other, I was like, yeah, I'm paying attention, but I'm, like, somewhere else. But it didn't take away from the story because, like, I don't know. I, I was still able to
1: follow along. As this is one of the things that is most important to me, because it's one of our main themes, it takes away from me when it's not strong. But... That is pretty much as much time as we have for Letter of Scoundrels. So we're about to start voting. And as a reminder for our audience, the voting is based is supposed to be based on. Which did you think which setting background characters helped further the story most? So which ones did you enjoy the most? Which ones fit into the narrative books? Which are the ones that you couldn't really remove from the time? All of those things matter. But also, which, uh, how did people's debates affect your opinion on that as well? um so people can choose to vote however they want at the end of the day if you want to vote strategically you can as a reminder of where we are after last episode uh take a hint danny brown has five points last wow. has one <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert and lord of scoundrels have zero now keep in mind there will be four rounds of voting we're gonna have a round of voting in our next episode and then a second round of voting there as well it's just about the overall book so it's still technically anyone's game but let's get started with this round of voting. Shanice, place your bet. Because we're going in terms
0: of like a setting and stuff. As much as I had problems with it, I do think it was the richest out of all of them. So I'm going to go with spoiler alert.
1: Spoiler if alert. We're all right.
0: If we're not talking about my book, but yeah, I think yeah, I think the fan fiction element was very well done. It was just a lot. <laughs> <laughs> which is good and bad, I guess,
1: <laughs> depending right. on who's reading it. Stephanie, what is your vote?
2: Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to pick spoiler just because I'm learning about a new world I have no idea about, right? I'm learning about fan fiction. I don't know. I didn't know that you had beta readers for fan fiction. I thought you just like fucking went wild and posted a story to whatever you wanted. And like, yeah, Marina,
1: was- what is your vote? We're not, we're not reading the painting. Marina, what is your vote?
4: Um, as a fan fiction reader, I will choose spoiler alert. And I will say, I think that Olivia did a phenomenal job, not only building the world of the series in the background, but I think that just the dynamics of like being in a fan fiction, um, community, I guess you could say, and, uh, like a con, like a conference situation. I think that she did a fantastic job.
1: And, Nat, you can't run, anyway, run away anymore. What is your vote?
3: I'll be honest. This is hard because it's hard not for me not to have my thoughts about previous books color my thoughts on the setting. But it's still going to swing that way. It's got to be Danny Brown for me. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just like they just it's so when you guys read Eve Brown, let me tell you. <laughs> That's up um, there yeah you definitely can't let the third book color
1: your no no thing. the
3: third book didn't but like yeah it, I'm just saying it, it gets even better
1: uh so <laughs> I will say this is actually pretty difficult um I can see a lot of Steph's points in the arguments that she made I think I still can't really give it even though I like I like the setting. I like the vibe of it. I love a good, like, oh, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I vote purely with my conscience. Uh, so, but those it's are my great. thoughts on Lord of Scoundrels. I struggle with the idea that I could give a point, but I mean, I haven't actually made my choice yet, so you don't know. Uh, so we'll see, but that's my feelings on that. Spoiler alert is a difficult one. Spoiler alert is a difficult one because I do fuck it. Like, it, it's, Difficult with how rich that fan fiction world comes across because I know it. Like, I am transported to an age of my own life that is, it well gives a lot. Done. Danny Brown, it was a struggle. <laughs> Danny Brown was a struggle to even come up with something I didn't like because it's a real, like, what a great job at making everybody feel fleshed out. I'm actually, and even Kiss and like, again, the debating for it worked really well. So I actually think what's going to happen here is I'm not going to give this to the book that I think purely based on reading it I had the best feeling of the background in the universe I think I'd have to give that to Danny Brown and then maybe give that to Spoiler as well but I am going to give it to the person who changed my mind about the decisions the most and that means I'm going <laughs> to kiss
0: potent
1: <laughs> oh shit Damn, Chase, you're gonna get it because I felt really strongly going into it about my issues with how how isolated Stella feels as a character, but I'll give that in your defense of it and in everybody helping her as well. FYI, you can consider that nice however that. you want. <laughs> you would have been in a very high lead, Marina, if you hadn't helped her. Uh, you would have had uh, like an eight to everyone else. Um, Maybe uh, this is an alliance. Yeah. So you don't know that. <laughs> yeah, I think I got to give it to Kiss Quote and I think that was really good. So where that leaves us is take a hit. Danny Brown has six. Kiss Quotant has three. Spoiler alert has three. And because at the end of the day, the points are absolutely meaningless. I'm going to give Steph a 0.5 because I'm the host and I can choose to do whatever I want. She gets a 0.5 for being the only one that took a risk and took a, picked a historical romance knowing that I was the one that was going to be reading and judging them. And that was definitely a harder thing for me to get over uh, and for her debating things. But like, it's a 0.5. That wraps up our episode. Uh, I don't think we're going to talk and chat around too much because we are hitting uh, a little bit around an hour, which I think is really where we want to be. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. I really hope you turn into our next episode. It's going to be the finale of this whole sort of event that we're trying and we're seeing it how we like. Um, we saved the best for last. We will be going into and in depth all of the various sex scenes in the books. How did they help? Were they good? Who had the best ones? And then after we talk about sex scenes and people on that in our next episode, we're also just going to vote on who do we think the ultimate winner was? What is the one book that I am so glad I read? I would have been actively sad if I had never gotten my hands on it. And also, what is the one book that you should also be reading if you haven't read these four anyway, though you easily could? Uh, if you have any thoughts on the things that we debated today, you can definitely check us out on Instagram and Twitter at EatsCast. Steph would also like me to mention that we have a Pinterest at everyone and their sister pod um and yeah let us know your thoughts let us know if you do you disagree with me do you agree do you agree with any of the other points what were the points that they did not make okay because definitely they did not think of everything they could have to defended their book for books. us um so
0: we and- didn't an hour and a half and- again bye, bye. bye. bye.
1: I that think you need weird. to channel <laughs> like, <laughs> like
0: like
4: that pride and prejudice like hand touch. Like you need yeah, to channel yeah. that I, and really I'll, deliver I'll try, it. I'll try. The I'll try.